Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and integrate story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Vi, Powder Slash Jinx, Jace, Victor, and Silco, as well as some other characters from Arcane. It is a true ensemble story, so it was really hard to narrow down which characters we're going to touch on, and we may go in other directions during the discussion. Joining me for that discussion is returning guest John Dorowski. Welcome back, John. Hello. And for anyone who is not familiar, Arcane is a computer animated action adventure steampunk fantasy series. Do, do you think that covers it all, John? <laughs> like, yeah, I guess we could throw in war and uh, uh, fighting and coming of age and uh, lots of things. But it's a fantasy series uh, that was released on Netflix in 2021. It is based on the world imagined in the League of Legends video game series. And it uses several characters from that game and gives them backstories. Now, I've never played League of Legends. John, have you? No, I'm not. For, I, I know the name, but I'm not familiar with it at all. Which, yeah, that is exactly where I was, too. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I think in some ways that was a plus coming into the story. But mm-hmm. for people who are a fan of the game, I'm sure they were able to see a lot more of the um, Easter eggs and yeah. call outs in there. So I looked at a few reviews and several of them like, made explicit mention that for players of the game, this is a great series, but it also is just a good series for anyone. And I was not sure how much of that latter part was going to land because video game adaptations don't have a great history of success. Uh, it is a very mixed bag <laughs> area to say we're taking this video game that is fun to play and interact with and that style of storytelling. And now we're telling a narrative based on that world and those characters does not always work. This well, was so uh, much better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, um, this is excellent, but as a comparison, you have the Halo series that started up recently, and those creators specifically said, we did not look at the video game to tell the story. Mm-hmm. We looked at all the ancillary material. And I I have no sense of how well that series is being received. Do you have any sense right now? I, I've actually watched all the episodes, uh-huh. and it's it's fine. Okay, but it's not it's not great. And it's definitely not an arcane. Okay, well, this uh, TV show was created by Christian Link and Alex Yee. The episodes were written by Link Yee, also Nick Luddington, Ash Brannon, David Dunn, Amanda Overton, Ben St. John, and Molly St. John. And the main voice class cast includes Haley Steinfeld as Vi, Ella Purnell as Powder slash Jinx, Kevin Alejandro as Jace, and Harry Lloyd as Victor really great voice work uh in this like there's so much that i just want to stop and praise uh in terms of the editing and like the use and it feels weird to say for for animation but like the best way i can describe it is like the camera angles like the way they give you so many different angles and shots the way the action is done uh the voice acting like it really is hitting on all these notes in a world that i wasn't sure i was going to enjoy a story that i wasn't sure i was going to care about characters that i had no familiarity with and wasn't sure to care and like i i became fully invested by the end of this and i was surprised by twists and turns uh there were motivations and transformations that felt very earned as characters um you know evolved uh, throughout so just top-notch storytelling in this and i really had um i guess i was hoping it was gonna be good because i'd heard uh both you recommend it and then also like some podcasts i listened to they're like no it's it's actually really good like you're not you don't think you're gonna like arcane but it's really good everyone and i was like yeah, yeah that, that's the caveat still. that everyone has to say is yeah it's based on a video game but it's really good <laughs> yes uh i was just so impressed uh throughout and i will throw out also um we we do these occasionally where like most of the content that we cover on this podcast is very family friendly. This is an adult oriented uh, animation. It has not a huge amount, but there is swearing, including uh, I, I would say like, it's would still get a PG 13 rating based for, on the number for each of swear- episode. Like by, yeah. by the end, there's enough well, bombs. It would have been rated R. No, I uh, think if that was all I, in one film. <laughs> yeah. May, like maybe like they're really, all right. So the rating system right now, as it stands is you can have two F bombs as long as they're, not sexual mm-hmm. and i know there were at least two f-bombs in here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, maybe yeah. there was another one but mm-hmm. it's like yeah it's like it is pg-13 but it is pushing that yeah PG-13 there's down. like a, a montage of consenting adults enjoying each other's company uh but in like that pg-13 kind of montage of okay <laughs> I, yeah. I know exactly what's happening so, yeah it's like <laughs> yes it's P- it would be rated pg-13 but it is not for kids <laughs> yeah 
So just want to make sure I mention that uh, in case this discussion is making you think, ah, oh, this this sounds like a great show. Uh, it is a great show, but maybe not for an entire family to sit down. Yeah, and I'd like to briefly mention the animation style before we get into the story mm-hmm. itself. So as you said, this is computer trained, but it was a lot of different techniques. It's kind of like they, um, so Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, their that attitude. That was the touchstone on, I was going to mention, John. Yeah, that's, well, their attitude making that is, uh, when it comes to the animation, if it's not broken, break it. So that's why it was so innovative. So they were doing everything. And these these guys kind of said, all right, now that the, all those walls are broken, how can we start integrating them into a whole story, mm-hmm. all those techniques? And so this is a, the backgrounds are two-dimensional painted, computer-painted backgrounds. So they look incredibly lush and beautiful. The characters are then three-dimensional put into that world. Mm-hmm. And occasionally you will have hand-drawn animation laid over that for effects. So smoke, fire, water, Jinx's personal demons. Uh, yes, I was gonna say. Are, also, some of the fight scenes start to introduce other elements, uh, like oh yeah, more than hand-drawn one, style. One particularly that does like a spray painting style. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so they were um, looking at the idea of, all right, now that all the options are open to us, how can we integrate them into one story? And yeah. uh, how can that enhance the visual storytelling and it definitely works where you can feel that none of these choices are just haphazard there's a deliberateness and a thematic mm-hmm. reason why they're going to alter those styles uh, and it's always visually arresting like it really is um just just lush the, the way that it yeah. all looks um and uh, when you have those complete breaks of visual tone and style um like there's a there's a confidence in the storytelling that you know that you as an audience are supposed to be feeling something about this and so it's not sometimes uh like with avant-garde style storytelling like i start to feel more confused mm-hmm. i never felt confused with any of this even when it was a, a complete disconnect from one you know the style from one scene to the next uh it was so deliberate that i never felt that moment of confusion at all well let's give a little bit of trivia before we get to that summary so the video game league of legends was released in 2009 it is a multiplayer online battle arena game and extremely popular. I, I Video games as a whole, I think we culturally do not give enough credit to the massive uh, fan bases and economic impact that they have in the entertainment industry. Oh, and the whole esport arena. Like, yeah. we really don't understand how big that is. Yes, like, we very much silo that off as, oh, it's just video games. In a similar, like, I do a lot of academic work with comic books, and there is the, oh, it's just comic books. In terms of, like, the business side money impact of these things comic books kind of deserve to be kind of like, okay, well it's, it's its own little corner where it is profitable and can exist, but it's not really affecting things. Video games are so huge. Uh, well, like the I'll, biggest uh, money-making days in entertainment history involve video games, not big budget films, not, uh, you know, releases, uh, you know, on, uh, you know, into availability through digital or anything like that. It is no video games coming out. Those are the biggest money-making days in entertainment. Well, uh, I'll give a quick example since you brought up comic books and video games. Mm-hmm. Um, Gene Luan Yang, former guest, uh, recently announced that he's going to start a line of graphic novels based on Clash of Clans, mm-hmm. the online battle game. And he talked about the process of just getting contact with the company to do this. And it's like he had an artist friend who had contact. And so they put together a pitch and sent in and heard nothing. And they tried sending in again and heard nothing. And then they did the math and said, okay, the amount of profit they can make off of graphic novels, they make in about four hours. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, and it's like... Um, so, no wonder they're not contacting us back. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it wouldn't be worthwhile for them. Uh, and, um, yes, eventually they did get in contact and yeah. now have the line. And now we're going to be doing it because uh, it's still it is still profit <laughs> to be yeah. made. There's still money there. Um, but it's like, uh, you know, Disney has been on this acquisition spree of buying massive companies for their intellectual property. You know, buying Pixar for, I think it was like, eight billion dollars for for somewhere between like four and eight billion dollars buying marvel for i'm pretty sure that one was four billion dollars buying 20th century fox 
and it was still in that like Star Wars between, between like four and, and 10 billion. And Lucasfilm was like four billion. This is like the price point for huge amounts of intellectual property. Recently, Microsoft bought Blizzard Activision, the company that makes video games. Did you, did you see what that price point was? 30 some billion? $67 billion oh. for Activision Blizzard. Like there's so much more money in video games than we we recognize. Like we think of like the biggest brands are Star Wars and 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 lately because the blockbusters superheroes, right? Like, yeah and orders of magnitude honestly, beyond that for the video game making company and i think we are reaching that point now with things like arcane and like halo and sonic the hedgehog where they're figuring out how to tell the stories in other media and so you're uh-huh. going to have that uh convergence culture crossover of you can have come at it from multiple angles yeah, we'd seen it very often going the other way, like some popular uh, book series or film series or TV show becomes a video game. We uh, had usually less not very good. In video going game. The other, yeah, we had, we'd had less success going in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot less success. <laughs> <laughs> but it's starting to happen. Uh, yeah, you know. I think that's the thing is we're at that point now where there uh, people who have grown up with video games, but particularly certain level of sophistication in the video games. Mm-hmm. are now making the films and TV. And yeah. so they're bringing their passion over. So, um, an understanding of the source material. Yeah. So we're talking about league of legends specifically, uh, besides arcane, the Netflix series, there have been other spinoff video games. There's been comic books, short story collections, and music videos, uh, that have been released, uh, tying into the game's world building. And it's all part of, um, you know, the convergence, uh, you know, and, and the idea of a story world that they're trying to build yeah. uh, for. So for uh, after watching the show, I started checking out some YouTube videos, mostly watching the fan made music videos. Mm-hmm. But I looked at a few things about the game itself. And, you know, one of them was here's the lore of uh, League of Legends. I started and I was like, before the universe existed, there were these forces. And then once <laughs> the, they created the universe and they transformed it, I was like, all right. I was like, okay, first, that's way too much for me. Too complicated for an introduction. And then I was like, B, I don't want to be spoiled. I might not want to be spoiled about anything that could come up. Because the and second so like, season of Arcane is yeah, it's like I don't maybe maybe I don't want to spoil my enjoyment. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the game is one of the most popular examples of esports. So uh, they have uh, League of Legends World Championships, uh, and during the 2019, it was reported that there were over 100 million unique viewers streamed portions of the World Championship, uh, and the League of Legends is streamed on Twitch, which is a very popular video game. Uh, uh, streaming site, uh, but also on YouTube, but it's also aired on ESPN uh, because ESPN is getting into the business of esports because they've realized that is a massive market. <laughs> Hundreds <laughs> of millions of dollars. Yes. Um, just mentioned that a second season of Arcane has been ordered by Netflix. Um, and I know I was able to, con- to, to see specifically that Vi and pa- the powder jinx character um, were, were created in the game and then backstories have been added. And then this really fleshed out those backstories in a way that and I know Caitlin and Jace are from the game. Okay. Um, so like at least that much. And I, yeah. I assume some of the other characters that were introduced are, but um, not specifics. And I did see the Jinx character. And I mean, this isn't shocking uh, or said to have been inspired by any guesses who, who Jinx was Harley inspired Quinn. by. Uh, well, yes, Harley Quinn. Well, it's Joker's who they mentioned, but yeah, it felt like a Harley Quinn character. Uh, but also Gollum, and and I think that's where you get the two versions, like the the nice powder mm-hmm. version and then the malicious Jinx version. But then also Helena Bottom Carter <laughs> was added as an inspiration. <laughs> you know your classic uh, inspirations: Joker, Gollum, and Helena Bottom Carter. I'm sure she feels privileged to be in that company. <laughs> but I um. I mean, we'll, we'll get to it a little bit after your your summary. But I thought this, in terms of storytelling, uh, sometimes we're introduced to characters like Harley Quinn, and they just are. And then later on, we're given their backstories. I thought it was a really interesting journey to start at the beginning before uh, she's the wild card Jinx character, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the chaotic force, and really see the uh, you know the, the innocent version powder uh, you know of this character and progress in ways that it felt earned and natural that she is going to evolve into the complete wild card character yeah uh that we have at the end and i think sometimes when we do the opposite where it's like okay there's this force of nature almost 
out there in the world and now we're going to be given the backstory uh it it's still it, i i struggle sometimes to to not feel like a disconnect between the versions that we have yeah um because i think this as presented in the first season is a tragedy in the classical sense mm-hmm. where is people's fatal flaws are what drives the story and drives it to this inevitable tragic end right oh yeah there all every one of these characters is a is a tragic character <laughs> like mm-hmm. i'm not seeing and happy endings. everyone has a has a fatal flaw yeah i mean well i mean we'll we'll talk some about the spoiler you know, yeah. after after we do the summary uh but yeah the, it really did feel uh like as you're getting into the last episode and i'm like how are they gonna wrap up any of these storylines because by then i hadn't gone to check that there's gonna be a season two but i very much was like are they gonna wrap up any of these storylines and then like i started to get the dread of like none of these people are gonna have a happy ending <laughs> uh and it was excellent storytelling but it did i did start to feel that dread weighing on and then my goodness can things go bad i will just say that (laughs) and Uh, and go bad so quickly yeah last bit of trivia the show has been very well received it has a hundred percent positive rating on rotten tomatoes and it was reportedly netflix's number one show in november 2021 when it was released um was that i think that was when hawkeye was happening on disney plus right uh yeah because i think it was on some like reaction podcast to hawkeye that i was listening to that the host started to say like one of the hosts was telling the other one like no you really need to go watch arcane so we can talk about that too (laughs) yeah uh and and so yeah i think that makes sense that that's when i was i was starting to uh, i think that kind of word of mouth is really the success like you had the people who were already fans of league of legend and would tune in but -hmm. from them you get the word of mouth of yes everyone else should go check it out because that's how it happened to us is our older brother watched it with his daughters mm-hmm. and said this was really or good played League of legends yeah and said this is really good everyone should go watch it and so i checked it out and got really invested and then i recommended it that we do it for this and now you're mm-hmm. really invested <laughs> yep all right well uh before we get to the the long summary which is going to be longer than usual because we are going to cover all nine episodes of the first season and john thank you for <laughs> tackling that summary <laughs> uh but before we do that listeners we want to thank you for downloading this episode and for listening and we especially want to thank those of you who support us on patreon if you'd like to support us financially we invite you to go to patreon.com protagonist and support our show with a dollar per month all supporters on patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast but all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss and no limit on that upper level five dollars or more like really just go go as high as you want on that um okay john why don't you give us uh, the summary of the full season of arcane okay episode one welcome to the playground we set the tone by opening on a child singing a slow down somber nursery rhyme over scenes of a battle on the bridge between wealthy piltover and the poor undercity classic technique to (laughs) to to scream uh creepy dystopia yes you immediately know what you're going to be in for young vi and powder wander through the carnage as piltovers enforcers are shooting in civilians and vander beats up enforcers vander sees the two children drops his gauntlets picks them up and walks away years later on a tip from their friend echo teenager vi and her crew of clagger milo and powder use parkour to make their way to the apartment of scientist Jace Tallis to rob it. Jace has unstable hex crystals, which Powder takes, but she drops one, which causes an explosion. They escape back to the Undercity, or the lanes, where another gang tries to claim their hall. In the ensuing fight, Powder runs and throws the hall into the river. Afterwards, Vander, now a barman and community leader, scolds them and talks to Vi about the responsibility of being a leader, saying, When people look up to you, you don't get to be selfish. Whatever happens is on you. Sheriff Grayson meets with Vander, explaining that Piltover's ruling council needs someone to take responsibility for the explosion, or the enforcers will have to come down and find them. In an underground lab, Silco, with one damaged eye, and the scientist Singed work on a drug, Shimmer, that induces an aggressive, violent mutation. Episode 2, Some Mysteries Are Better Left Unsolved. Years ago, Jace and his mother were going to die on a snowy mountain until a wizard saved them. Now the explosion in his apartment, uh, because of that, he admits at his hearing before Piltover's council that he was trying to harness forbidden magic through science. 300-year-old ball of fluff, Professor Heimerdinger, (laughs) 
the last of his race. I mean, I think uh, like just to describe this character, like uh, kind of like a, a a gremlin or a baby Yoda, like ears and size, but a cat. Uh, not a gremlin, a mogwai. Oh yes, yes, the furry furry side. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But also so, very intellectual, but with kind of a squeaky voice. It's very adorable. Yeah. So Professor Heimerdinger, last of his race explains that he has seen civilizations corrupted and destroyed by magic, which is why it is forbidden. Jace is expelled from the academy and loses his patronage from the Kiriman family. He contemplates suicide until Heimerdinger's assistant, Victor, interrupts and says that he believes Jace's research can work. The enforcers begin searching the Undercity, causing tension to rise. Vander gives Vi another lesson in leadership, saying, I know you want to fight, but who are you willing to lose? This leads Vi to decide to take the fall and turn herself in. Episode 3, The Base Violence Necessary for Change Vander finds Vi before the enforcers, prepared to take the blame himself. Then Soko's mutated soldier kills Grayson and takes Vander. Soko has the goal of turning the Undercity into the nation of Zahn, but had previously been betrayed and nearly drowned by Vander. Vi, Clagger, and Milo go to the rescue, leaving Powder behind. Vi gives Powder a flare, saying, Wherever you are, light it up, and I will find you. While Jace and Victor perfect Hextech, Powder turns the Hex Crystal into a bomb. She uses it to try and help Vi, but the explosion kills Clagger and Milo. Vander uses Shimmer to save Vi before he dies. When Powder excitedly tells Vi that her bomb worked, Vi punches her and abandons her. Vi is taken by the Enforcer Marcus, while Powder is found by Silco. Powder violently clings to him, and he hugs her back, saying, It's okay. We'll show them. We'll show them all. Episode 4. Happy Progress Day. Years later, Hextech has revolutionized Piltover as a center for commerce and progress. Jason and Victor are now, have now turned the explosive hex crystal into a stable hex gemstone, which can fuel their inventions like the Atlas Gauntlets, and the Hexclaw with its built-in laser, which will only be used for mining purposes. <laughs> Silco has turned on the Undercity into a drug-addicted criminal empire. A gang of flying skate- on flying skateboards called the Firelights attempt to destroy an illegal shipment of Shimmer, but are stopped by the explosives expert Jinx. Jinx, very much haunted by the past and mistaking one of the Firelights for F- Vi, goes a little crazy and shoots at everybody with her oversized Gatling gun. Later, Jinx uses an explosion during the Progress Day celebration to steal the Hex Gemstone. Silco wants to build a weapon so that Piltover fears the Undercity. Jace, for his contributions and desires to protect Hextech, is given a seat on Piltover's council. While investigating the attacks, Caitlin Kiriman finds a clue which leads her to a prisoner at Stillwater Prison, Vi. Episode 5, Everybody Wants to Be My Enemy. Caitlin frees Vi to help with her getting proof of Silco's crimes, while Vi just wants to find Powder. Vi leads them on a parkour tour of the Undercity. Victor, who is dying, begins to have visions about Hextech. Jace, wanting to root out corruption, has cut off all of the counselor's back channels. Counselor Madaro helps him make peace with the others, and they begin and those two begin a romance. To help Jinx overcome and forget her past, Silco baptizes her. Vi confronts Silco's second-in-command, who reveals that Jinx works for Silco before stabbing Vi, and then Caitlin saves Vi. Episode 6, When These Walls Come Tumbling Down. Flashback. Young Victor follows his mechanical boat into an underground cave, where he meets Singed, who is trying to keep a rare mutated giant salamander alive. He eventually learns that Singed <laughs> It sounds so ridiculous do- when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> he eventually learns that Singed will do anything to keep the mutant alive. Now, Jinx learns that Vi is back and traveling with an enforcer. Vi takes Caitlin to an old hideout, and Caitlin trades a rifle for medicine to help Vi heal. Victor finds that Hextech can temporarily respond to organic matter. Heimendinger wants this new hex core to be destroyed. Instead, he is voted off the council. Soko comes for Vi and Caitlin, but Vi knocks over a giant neon sign so they can escape. Jinx lights the flare, and Vi finds her. Just as Vi says, I'm not going to abandon you again, the firelights attack and take Vi, Caitlin, and the Hex Gemstone. Episode 7, The Boy Savior. 
Echo is revealed as the leader of the Firelights and has set up a haven in the other city for those wanting to recover from Shimmer or escape from Silco. Victor goes to see Singed, who recommends Shimmer to help stabilize the effects of the Hexcore on organic matter. As Jace is getting overwhelmed by his new responsibilities, Madara suggests turning Hextech into a weapon to protect Piltover from the Undercivity. Vi, Caitlin, and Echo take the Hex gemstone across the bridge to return it to Piltover, but Sheriff Marcus, who is in Silco's pockets, shoots at them. Jinx, jealous of how close Vi and Caitlin are, attacks with her explosives and kills the Sheriff. Jinx and Echo fight over the gemstone, and Echo has the upper hand but hesitates, remembering how they used to play as children, allowing Jinx to release a grenade. Episode 8, Oil and Water Silco finds the injured Jinx, who still has the hex gemstone, and takes her to Singed for medical attention. The Piltover Council must respond to Jinx's attacks. Caitlin helps Vi meet with the Council, and she gives them the target, Silco. Heimadinger finds a wounded Echo, and Echo takes him to his haven. Victor, having carved runes into his body and taken Shimmer, uses the Hexcore, and for the first time in his life, is able to run. But while experimenting further, his infatuated assistant tries to pull him away from the Hexcore and is disintegrated. Jace crafts a Hexcore Warhammer, and Vi claims the Atlas Gauntlets, and they go, down, go to take down one of Silco's Shimmer factories. Episode 9, The Monster You Created During the raid, Jace kills a boy. Vi's tell him that this is a reality he's just never had to confront, but Jace, feeling that this is not what Hextech should be used for, wants to make peace. Vi goes off to Silco alone. Victor, overcome by grief, contemplates suicide when Jace interrupts. Victor tells Jace that the Hexcore must be destroyed and that, in the pursuit of great, we failed to do good. Jace meets line. with Silco and yeah. Jace meets with Silco and offers him everything he's wanted, the nation of Zon, if he gives up Jinx. Silco goes to a statue of Vander and contemplates the deal and gives a great monologue. A thousand times I've imagined this moment, never like this. All we ever wanted. The boy didn't even haggle. And what do I lose but problems? Oh, it all makes sense now, brother. Is there anything so undoing as a daughter? But Jinx overhears this. <laughs> Vi confronts uh, Silco's second, Savika, and when she's down, imagines Vander there giving advice to help her overcome. But then she, Jinx takes Vi by surprise. Jinx has arranged a reunion. Vi, Caitlin, dolls of Clagger and Milo, and Silco, to help her make a choice. Should she be Powder or Jinx? As Vi, Silco, and her inner demons shout, Jinx opens fire and shoots Silco. With his dying breath, he forgives her, saying, I would never have given you to them, not for anything. Don't cry. You're perfect. And then she decides who she is. Jinx. As the Piltover Council votes to allow Zahn to become a free state, Jinx takes the Hex Gemstone and uses her shoulder-mountain, shark-shaped rocket launcher to send it back to the Council as a missile. The end. Oh, just all these characters are so different at the end than where they started. Not always for the better, but it all feels earned. And I love that. It is great storytelling and it is a true ensemble piece where uh, like I become invested in so many different characters and I want to see them make the right choices. But when they make the wrong choice, it doesn't feel out of character. Like you understand the motivation that's leading them to the wrong choice. Yeah. I think that's so key for, why this works yeah and that's why it's uh an inevitable tragedy you could see it coming and you hope so much that they can avoid it but uh you you when it does just become a tragedy you're still satisfied because that's where the story was going you could tell that yeah do you feel like um you know clearly this is an ensemble piece lots of really strong characters but do you feel like there's a protagonist um there's several protagonists because mm -hmm. uh, you have, well, in a sense, this is the tale of two cities. Yeah. And and like uh, Dickens wrote, for one, it's the best of times. For another, it's the worst of times. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, you know, it's heavy on those contrasts. Mm -hmm. And so on Piltover, you have Jace really as the protagonist on that side. Um, 
supported by Victor, I think. And then on the other side, you have Vi and Jinx as your protagonists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, I think Vi is the character that I end up follow, like I felt most invested in. Mm-hmm. Um, the Powder Jinx character is very interesting, and I completely understand why she's a wild card. But I like it, it's hard to feel invested in the wild card, <laughs> you know, in in the Agent of Chaos. Um, I say that as like Loki was one of the biggest hits for Disney. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I th- I, for me, it was um, like you said, how does she get to that point? Mm-hmm. And you know, and also it was you- a really well presented interpretation of her like feeling the 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 pull push and pull of the the angel and the demon on our shoulder yeah uh, and that was often literally visualized mm-hmm. um because she's haunted by memories of her uh family that she's responsible for <laughs> killing yeah um and so she you know what makes this really effective storytelling is we see this develop through years and so that first act uh the first three episodes is a one time period and the rest is the later time period and you can see how she like naturally builds from there, partly because of who she is, but also because of her of the betrayals by Vi, um, that by like Vi leaves her, and um, she ends up at well. So at the beginning, she desperately wants to be an equal to Vi. She's years younger, but she's that myself. I want to be the cool kid too. I want to be just like my sister. And I'm going to push myself to do things that I'm not ready for. Um, I'm too young to, to accomplish. Like she can barely do the parkour. Um, she's an inventor, but at that point her bombs aren't working. And uh, you see that the abandonment she ha- feels has stunted her. She, and also the trauma of losing everybody leaves her in a very fragile and uh, not well state. And the tragedy of that is <laughs> yes. the tragedy of this is that um, Silco is her support, and Silco is also a damaged person who's in pain, and they can't really help each other heal. No, they're they can both only, lashing out in a lot of ways. Yeah, they can only kind of help each other continue in the pain. Mm-hmm. No, I, th- I think that's a really good analysis. Um, about those two characters. And Silco is a fascinating father figure. Um, and also antagonist and also protagonist. Like he is trying to achieve something that you, you get the motivations <laughs> behind. Yeah, like, you understand the sense of, a uh, not just abandonment, but also it's more than abandonment. It is a sense of like, we're being held down. Yeah. Like Vi at one point says, I grew up knowing I was less than the people over in Piltover. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want that for powder. Yeah. I'm going to use powder and jinx interchangeably, but they, there are some distinctions you can make. Um, and yeah, like that's part of the story is, you know, the economics of the two sides that one side is being put upon and seems to be scrambling for, to survive. And Silco thinks, well, if we have autonomy, then we can rise up from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think like thematically, there's a lot of interesting ideas uh, that are being explored in terms of that. There's social class issues. There's there's political issues. There's well, and there's uh, policing of those classes mm-hmm. with the enforcers who are thugs. They are stormtroopers. Yes, but also we get some characters that are them and you start to understand, okay, this yeah, one like, is being manipulated because of his daughter. Like his love of his daughter is his weakness that is forcing him to do things he doesn't want to do because it's being held over him. Yeah. And, uh, well, and Caitlin, uh, Kerman, she is, uh, starts as an enforcer and at one point says, look, like, we're the same. We're just people. But, you know, we don't see that a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the time, the enforcers are completely in armor yeah, uh, with faces covered. With their masks on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they can be a bit of cannon fodder. I will say there's this is a very violent show. Um, and it 
does sometimes like the recovery from what looked like mortal wounds does feel a little abrupt. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, they're hopping up and uh, running, running away again. Okay. Uh, you know, and then they, they stagger and fall down once they're to a point of safety. But uh, if you want to call that adrenaline, it is definitely not unique to the show to say that there's uh, sometimes inconsistency in the cost of the violence that, that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was something that stood out. But I also did want to acknowledge that the violence is never celebrated. Like there's a, a hardness and a grittiness and a pain that's present in the violence that the fight scenes are very well choreographed or, or designed in the computer animation. Uh, the, the music and the pacing and the editing is all there to make you enthralled, but also you are wincing and feeling the pain <laughs> that is coming yeah. from, from the violence. It is very, uh, a, a very often a very personal violence. Um, like a lot of the fighting is, hand to hand knee to face you know fist to <laughs> fist to face uh and and we're meant to um not kind of uh celebrate the power of these individuals but we're meant to feel the pain that is being inflicted both ways yeah like even if someone wins the fight it's not a triumph mm-hmm. and i think it's one of the important things about the show that sets apart is it is a story about consequences mm. and uh intended unintended but that these consequences affect everyone, especially Powder Jinx, when her mom's responsible for killing her family. Like that consequence carries on forever for her. Right. Um, I, there's so many great characters that I want that, that we can dig into. And I want to first talk about some, one of the ideas you raised that this is, the, you know, the inevitable tragedy of these characters. What are those strengths slash flaws that are putting them on the path uh, uh, to yeah. the unfortunate end that we see? Maybe let's start with Vi um, yeah. as the first one. How I think I, that's exactly right. Have how you put it. It's like, this is a strength, but as it carries on the story, you see that this is not helping them be stronger. It's actually destroying them or sending this story down this path of tragedy. Yeah. Or in these settings, this is exactly what this character needs in order to survive. But yeah. in these other settings, this is uh, breaking so many of their relationships or, or uh, you know, putting them in, in negative situations uh, for Vi. Do you have something in mind for, for what would fit that? Yes. So, and I'm going to relate to just something in, um, the Mandalorian on okay. one of the specials about making it. Dave Filoni gave a brilliant defense of episode one of Star mm-hmm. Wars. And he says that the ending duel with Darth Maul and the song Duel of the Fates is apt because it is a duel of the fates that Anakin's fate hangs on this duel. Because what Anakin needs is a father, Qui-Gon Jinn. What he gets is a brother. Uh, in obi-wan and that sets it on the path of tragedy and i think similar things happen to a lot of the characters here for vi uh vander wants her to become a leader as trying to give her advice but it's cut off before he can give all the lessons so it's not that she needed a father figure she needed the mentor and when she loses that she's trying to manage on her own and doesn't have all the lessons or skills to accomplish that. Yeah, I think you're right. I was going to say for her, what I see is that she is so powerfully reactive that, you know, she can get out of really bad situations, but (laughs) she can't (laughs) always plan her way through what the right choices are in other situations. And we see that most tragically when she in anger after Vander has died, she blames powder. Like she reacts so negatively Mm -hmm. to powder. And that's what drives her to Silco. Uh, And, you know, and drives her away. And then also, I think we see the one reason why she gets trapped is she's in the cell and there's nothing for her to react to. Like she can't, (laughs) she can't do anything. Uh, And for her character where so much of it is driven is, uh, you know, by what is the threat in front of me. And she is so good (laughs) at punching those threats. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, willing herself like when she's in the situation where there's nothing that she can do, like she just kind of shuts down, uh, you know, and she says like, yeah, I was thinking about how every day, but it's not like she's planning. How could she get out of this? She needs an opportunity to present itself and she can react appropriately in order to get out and go find powder who has now become jinx. 
Yeah, um, and, and, uh, and so her 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 like reactivity is what makes her a great fighter, but also is what ends up driving away her sister. Yeah, and I think that goes back to what I said that this is a story of consequences. She doesn't think through the consequences of her actions. That's what mm-hmm. Vander was trying to teach her. Of you know, these people will follow you. That means you're responsible for them. Who are you willing to lose by your actions? And she's so reactive. She she's not doesn't have the maturity yet to be able to think through those consequences. And for Vander, that was some hard earned maturity that he had that made him a community leader in the uh, in that first act. Yes, and uh, you people people you you see people saying like this isn't who you used to be. And he's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and so like that's she, right. <laughs> you you you've grasped my evolution. She might be on a parallel journey, but she doesn't have that maturity yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I mean, her seeing her training montages and then her fight scenes, like this is again just like the action is so well paced and presented to the to the audience. Uh, in this, um, but the the violence of even just her like doing her her robot uh sparring that she does and uh-huh. and she's doing it with just her knuckles wrapped so it's like mm-hmm. how does she, how is she able to bend her fingers anymore after <laughs> pounding it with her, her bare knuckles yeah and eventually she gets the the uh what do they call the atlas gauntlets the atlas gauntlets yes you know we, we knew we knew that was coming because that's just the i mean i'm sure for video game players that's obviously visually how she's always been presented to them uh but for the fighting style that we get for this character it also just feels right that you know that that's where her power set is going to come from um for powder uh slash jinx um we see that intense desire uh to be more than what she is and it forces her to take risks that she shouldn't and also push boundaries that she really shouldn't and i think that boundary pushing is where we end up with like the 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 like character rupture um i you know i don't want to apply like real world mental health terms <laughs> to this but but i'm, I'm comfortable saying like there, there's a character rupture that that's present in the the different presentations of jinx versus powder yeah and like uh, you're right she's want, always wants to be more she wants to catch up to vi even the vi in her head uh while vi is in prison her idealized image of her sister and you know that's all that's there from the beginning where she like the have vi clagger and milo who are older teenagers and powder looks like she's about 12 and trying to keep up with them Mm -hmm. and she's always trying to keep up with um people who are more powerful and old uh, older and just have more skills than her and uh Again, that tra- uh, going back to that Star Wars analogy of what did she need versus what she got? She needed her sister, and she got a father figure, <laughs> and that was like that wasn't the development she needed to yeah. be healthy. And certainly, she needed more more time uh, and a slower pace. And being pushed into uh, Silco is uh, about a bad turn. <laughs> as she could have in terms of her maturation and development yeah uh what about uh jace jace and victor are really interesting to me uh like i don't quite feel they're on the same level in terms of emotional connection that i gave or like narrative through line uh i I, i'm not saying they got the short end of the stick or anything uh i I just maybe it's because of how the those first acts opened that it was so vi centric and so uh powder centric um they almost felt like like secondary protagonists but they're really interesting very well developed and and uh the motivations feel so strong for both of them and this is also one of the patterns throughout the story of these found siblings who at some point end up on opposite sides of an ideological divide so Mm -hmm. you had silco and vander considered themselves brothers at one point and became enemies. Fi and Jinx were sisters and end up on opposite sides. And well, I let's say Vi and powder are the sisters. Vi and Jinx are the enemies. Yes. Um, and then uh, Jace and Victor are brothers in science and their ideological divide isn't as uh, dramatic as the violence that you get with uh, Vi and Jinx, but they still end up on, different sides of a, of the debate about science. Mm -hmm. And so for Jace, his flaws, uh, his naivete, uh, and 
that he will compromise to try and reach a great goal. So he thinks he's doing something good that will help progress, but he will compromise all the time to do that. And how can anything good come from that? Well, <laughs> from I think it's also, like I, I, I see what you're saying about the compromise, but in some ways I think it's um, like he overcorrects when he realizes his, like when his naivete is ripped away, he overcorrects. Yeah. And so like uh, at the end, when he has killed a boy, mm-hmm. um, like he's in shock about that. And so he overcorrects and says, all right, instead of fighting to try and solve the problems, we'll make peace with Silco. Because that right. would be the <laughs> path, of, <laughs> path of least resistance. It, it feels very wrong to like be, be anti-peace. But, uh, you know, in this, in this moment, we have uh, Silco, who is like we've been shown legitimately evil <laughs> right yeah. and uh compromising with him does feel like ceding too much ground and you have vi who, who is this protagonist character voicing that logic to him saying this is war against evil there will be casualties you've just never had to get your hands dirty uh and he says you're right i never want to get them dirty again so i'm going to negotiate this one-sided piece yeah. that and uh, you know concedes too much yeah and he has such a naivete about what the Hextech will accomplish. He sees only the good that it can do. Um, like I said, like he built the Atlas Gauntlets and they have that laser. And it's like, and this will just help people with their jobs so that they don't get tired as much as like, well, one, that's not the underlying problem of why people are in the other city are upset is that their jobs are too tiring. Yes. But also like, he just assumes this can never be used as a weapon. <laughs> and he's uh, really conflicted about Hextech becoming a weapon. Yes, and it, uh, I know. I think it's Victor who explicitly says it, but he and Victor are going to end up in the place where they're like, okay, well, we've got to destroy it all. Yeah. <laughs> like when they realize um, there's this negative consequence, it's not we need to put more safeguards in or uh, or we need to find a way to highlight the positives and ensure that that is the main outcome. It's like, nope, gotta got to go away. <laughs> well, that was that's what Heimerdinger was warning the whole time. And he was a Clytemestra figure where he's giving, like, and for him coming from, experience was like he's giving these prophecies of i've seen this technology destroy civilizations take your time make sure you have your safeguards in place don't mm-hmm. rush this and they don't listen to him it says uh because like victor says some of us don't have centuries to see progress yeah uh and i think that's another example of his like overcorrection where um he, I, I, I don't think it's his naivete being, um, you know, ripped away. But maybe he gets manipulated to the point where he sees uh, Heimendinger as, as holding him back, and so he's he's going to overcorrect and like too fully embrace it <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, walking like once he commits to a path, it's it's all in. Okay, you know, yeah. we're, we're we're fully embracing the hex tech, and now okay, we we are going to fully embrace peace. You know, at at, at the end, at any cost. Uh, you know, se- seems to be uh his pendulum swing is maybe a little too wide like he he needs a little more centering uh someone who can, who can help uh you know keep keep him on on the path yeah and he gets uh with heimerdinger gone he gets trapped between victor and his girlfriend madara about um and like he's used to being a scientist he's suddenly put in a political situation where he and somehow becomes the leader automatically <laughs> for the city and he, he's that, not that, prepared. That, I, I wanted a little more. It felt a little figurehead-y, but yeah, I, like I wanted that to be a little more explicit. Yeah. Well, I think he was put up as a figurehead, and he wanted to use that authority and didn't understand how it would go. Mm-hmm. So one of the things he does is he wants to stop um, all legal shipments coming to the city. So he locks down the bridges and says everyone who crosses has to be searched, uh, which... We saw how well that went with Texas recently. Yes. And but like we said, it's a pendulum swing. Like he, he, he goes too far in any direction that he's heading. Yeah. And he, uh, and a story of consequences. He also does not understand the consequences of his decisions. Mm-hmm. And he has to be taught. No, it's not a cause and effect. It's cause and ripples. Yeah. And, and uh, you're not going to be able to predict or control those ripples. Exactly. Um, so and- uh, like a, we have some, I, I mean, I say he, he can't predict. He is given warnings, <laughs> you know, from, yes. from other characters. <laughs> um, but it's also a good example of how the, like you have parallels between characters and contrasts between characters. And so um, 
he contrasts both with Jinx and Silco. So as a scientist, he contrasts with Jinx, where he sees only the benefits that his Hexa can bring. Jinx will automatically turn it into a weapon for destruction. She's very good at it. Yes, she's very good at explosives. And she has a very creepy calling card. <laughs> and then uh, when he becomes a political leader on the council, that's contrast with Silco and how they try and be leaders and particularly how Silco controls the Undercity. Oh, yeah. The, fear, fear and intimidation. There, there's really good um, like uh, mise-en-scene that is done to contrast, but also show you the overlap between like Jace in his meetings with the chairs uh of uh you know the elite and then zilko uh with his group of minions <laughs> uh well the, like the Ken, i think it was the chem barons yes uh the, the under city you're you're being shown like the venn diagram uh visually uh with with these uh characters that that like you're saying, like these these are the same character, but they're also very different um, and simultaneously. One of the strengths of the series is you can see these parallels, but they don't. The storytellers don't point them out. There's a lot of showing, not telling, in that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and I'm starting to see more of them just from this discussion. Like some of these are starting to stick out. Yeah, uh, like I'm, my mind is like clicking back to some of the scenes um, that 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 were in the series. Um, just just from you know some of the insights that you're sharing. It's like oh right there, there's that that moment uh, is an example of this. Uh, sort of sort of thing uh, and, and the fact that those visuals are like so embedded in my brain that i am able to like click back to them says something about the quality of this work you know, some great visuals a great great moments like i said i started look, watching a lot of the fan-made music videos and there are certain scenes that just everyone goes to uh-huh um what about uh um oh suddenly i'm, I'm blanking on his name uh <laughs> jace's friend victor victor <laughs> victor who great voice work. I love his voice so much. Uh, so many of these voice works is incredible. Uh -huh. um, but Victor, who uh, comes from the other city. Uh, and so he's a immigrant to, to Piltover trying to fit in. He's sickly, has been lame his whole life. Um, and one leg. Uh, so he's, he's not in a wheelchair. He has a crutch. And then um, you see, you find out in the uh, second half of the series that he's dying. Uh, when a, whenever a scientist, uh, already ill-looking scientist coughs up, coughs up blood, it's never a good sign. Yes. <laughs> um, and so he's trying to fight for his life, but again, can't see the consequences. Well, can't see the consequences until it's too late because he's so desperate to live, which is... You know that I mean that might be the most powerful motivation. Yeah, it's like uh, <laughs> if a scientist coughs up blood, they're about to go push science too far. If a woman vomits on a show, she's pregnant. Like those are two <laughs> gold standards uh, that that we must we we've, we've come to know. <laughs> and when a female scientist coughs up blood, it's a coin toss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, um, but like I, it's again great parallelism where. In the first act, Victor's the one who saves Jace when Jace is at his lowest point. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in the last episode, when Victor's at his lowest point, Jace is the one who shows up and stops him. Yeah, and uh, I will just say uh, his in his quest to heal himself as he like carves rune, runes into his own body, like he's embracing the magic more than the science. Like he's, he's yeah. shifting from the science to the yeah, magic. Yeah, he he's, uh, starts when... Uh, one of his coughing fits, he, and he's seems like he's fainting, but then the everything goes out of focus, and the hex text seems to start talking, whispering to him. Yeah, it starts and to feel it, a it little becomes, venom and symbiote. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it becomes the mysticism and uh -huh. of the magic instead of the science. And but like that scene where he runs for the first time, it, it, that's one of those great scenes. Yeah, you you feel uh, again like he's feeling the payoff. Um, you know, like, and as an audience, we're just like, mm, there's gonna be a price to be paid, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and of course, you you gotta go big and make it the most tragic price. Yes, uh, and it it does feel um like his and his relationship with the uh like you said, almost the uh, the hex text starts to become almost like possessive and demonic uh about it. Like it does feel a little bit uh like Mephistopheles, uh you know the yeah uh, the, the dr faustus uh like, like making a bargain 
uh, and not being so invested in what is going to be obtained, you 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 ignore the cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the cost, you feel like, okay, we're, we're not going to be seeing more costs that, uh, you know, he, he's going to be losing control of himself and his personality uh, <laughs> in season two. Uh, but we'd get the very immediate cost of uh, his assistant who was clearly in love with him, uh, had not been, been able to admit it yet. Uh, and like, there's the hope of a, a positive relationship that just gets torn away. Yeah. And, um, he, and, and then him finding her notes later and uh, realizing that she was in love with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After she's gone. Uh, yeah. The, the, the timing, oh, just, just really great storytelling. Just, just well-structured storytelling uh, through, throughout this whole series. Um, I also uh, like, like it's not one that we, we mentioned a lot, but um, the way the, the story is being told, um, I, it, it made the stakes so different. Um, like once we start to get to a few of the flashbacks, um, a, that we get in this or, or like a say TV series that is as flashback heavy, like, um, like lost, like the flashbacks can be very interesting to learn something about the character, but the stakes, of the flashback aren't huge. Cause we know the character's alive on the Island. Right. Mm, something like yeah. that. Uh, and when we're in act one and we're just have like this young group ragtag group of thieves, uh, with, with Vander as a father figure, like the stakes are all real and they kill Vander, which makes the stakes feel very, uh, very real there um so, and if it had been done a flashback structure like vander was like telling the story to you know to someone else it's like oh okay you know he's he's, he's not gonna die uh but but they're able to kill him in a way that is shocking yeah that's the i remember watching the show the first time and like i i loved the animation stuff from the start and i could tell it was a good story and then the third episode happened I'm like oh there are real consequences this is a uh, different storytelling than i expected and it's really going to elevate everything because mm-hmm. uh, they killed like a quarter of the cast that they had introduced in the third episode yeah because the, the the other thieves uh that were given full personalities and names um they didn't feel like uh you know red shirts in star trek uh, uh clagger i l- really liked clagger uh-huh and we're given uh in the way that the particularly uh vander's death is told like we're given hope that he's going to get out of it uh you know until the last second like we 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 see him essentially could have been his death but he finds a way to survive and we're like oh maybe he's gonna survive but there's the price to be paid but he's still gonna be around but no they they let him just die yeah <laughs> um you know after after uh you know one more heroic moment uh that that he's given and it just made the rest of the story from then on it's like uh, one reason why I think I had such a feeling of dread as we were nearing like, the last episode. I'm like, how are they going to be able to tie this up? And I was, like, I was thinking like, oh, they could kill any one of these characters. Yeah, so <laughs> like none of the yeah, characters actually felt they safe. They set that up that, yeah, the, all these characters could die. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vander is a character. I want to talk about him a lot. Uh, or I mean, a, a bit. Just I, I loved his voice work again. Great <laughs> yes. voice. That was, uh, that from was whoever they the cast as him. I, 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 I don't remember who it was, but really great voice work. Do you see in him the same kind of strength slash fatal flaw flaw? Uh, first off, I want to say with the voice work, um, some of these people have accents and there's no explanation of why <laughs> all the people in the same area have different accents. <laughs> um, for Vander, uh, his fatal flaw was, so he tried the opening scene is him leading a re- trying to lead the revolution why there were kids there i don't know like what parents brought their kids to a revolution um but after that like after he sees the consequences of that he perhaps overcorrects too much like chase and he tries he wants to create uh a balance between piltover and the undercity and it's a homeostasis where things aren't getting worse but they're not getting better either mm-hmm and he and the sheriff from Piltover Grayson, uh, they see this balance as the the best way that they can coexist. But it's not improving the Undercity at all either. And that's what um, ends up being the flaw that uh, Silco wants to improve the lot by any means necessary. And that, right. that's kind of what leads to both Grayson and Vander's death. So it, it, he becomes almost like a, a survive and endure 
Uh, whereas Silco is a, a transform and improve. I, yeah. I get like a self-centered transform and improve. He's not a communalist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> seeking to greater good we, for we everyone. Can, yeah. We can transform and improve as long as I'm on top. <laughs> yes. Um, and for, for Vander that I think it is that moment where he says, okay, this revolution, cause he was a revolutionary, isn't going to work. And he sees the kids He's like, okay, the best I can do is ensure these kids' safety. Yeah, and maybe and that that's a pivot point where he is going to become like the the survive and endure rather than yeah, and the transform. He might see hope for the future, and that's why he was trying to mentor Vi to be a better leader than he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that training was incomplete, <laughs> and he didn't yeah. like he couldn't have expected that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he hoped he had many more lessons he could part, but like he really looked at Vi as she could lead this community to a better place uh, if she can temper her um, temperament a bit. Sorry, that came out, came out weird. Yeah. Well, so, so in that light, it's not so much a um, like, like maintaining the status quo as like a very slow long-term transformation. Yeah. But you have to have a stable status quo to start with. Mm-hmm. All right. I feel like there's so much more that we can well, do. I've only, I do wanna... I've only watched the series once. It's one of those that I could definitely see myself like rewatching in prep for oh, season like two. Before, yeah, before the next season comes out, you'll rewatch this one. Uh huh. Um, I do want to talk about Silco a little bit because okay. I, th- yeah. I think he's one more interesting character developments because in that first like the first three episodes, he seems like a generic villain. He's got the underground la- underwater layer in this case. He's yeah, very uh, mad scientist. Vibe. Yeah, mad scientist type and. You know, he's talking about how he wants to uh, turn the undercity to its own nation, and obviously it'd be an authoritarian nation with him at top. And so he, it seems like a oh, kind of generic villain for the series. And by the last episode, I'm like, this is one of the most interesting characters. His voice work on these speeches is amazing. <laughs> and like where, like you get to that end, and he's completely changed his goals. It's where he says like, like they wanted you. Like they would give me the nation of Zon if I gave up Jinx, I would never do that. And it, like, and he like finally understands Vander's position of, um, why Vander stopped fighting so much. Like, yeah, if you want to take care of your daughters, why are you going to fight so hard to change everything? Yeah, and that is that that transformation, that pivot is a, again why it feels a bit tragic when he dies. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, at Jinx's hand, uh, you know, whereas before uh, he, there's any moment, any number of moments that he is in peril before it's like, take him out. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's not like I'm rooting for him and his worldview at all. But you do feel uh, just uh, a sense of of tragedy when Jinx killed him. Yeah. Uh, and especially in that last episode where you see the full transformation, you've seen it on the way where he always trusts Jinx and. Um, everyone's calling on him to rein in, either rein her in or cut her loose um, and have her no longer be part of the organization. And he won't do that because they, not just the father, they have such a symbiotic relationship where, like I said, they're both in pain, but they can't help each other heal. Mm-hmm. But they need that support from each other. Yeah. Um, And he, like the, the transformation that he forces on Jinx it makes it so you you can never root for him, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but you start to see him in a different light uh, at, at the end, and I, and that's another example of just the strong storytelling structure that we that the series had from beginning to end. Major Mad Hatter vibes at that party at the end. <laughs> yes, where well, um, it's a but it's beautiful setup where uh, Jinx is headed up. So there are two chairs. Like I can be Powder or I can be Jinx. And it just depends on which chair I take. And then after she shoots, shoots Silco and he gives those beautiful last words and she just walks over and and you just feel, oh, the tragedy is complete as she sits down in this Jinx chair. Yeah. And it is, uh, it is quite the chair. <laughs> the, the Jinx chair. Yeah. <laughs> All right, John, any final thoughts on Arcane? We probably need to be wrapping up this episode. Well, I really enjoyed this discussion. Yeah, I feel like, like there's so much more we could dig into. Yeah. It's like so many other thoughts of characters we haven't gotten to. Um, but, uh, final thoughts is go watch it. Like this is really excellent show. And, um, you know, the, 
at the week of this recording, Netflix has had a downturn and they're not going to be investing as much in some shows, but hopefully this is one that they're able to turn into one of their successes with yeah, multiple seasons. Yeah, the Bone animated series. That one really hurts. Yes. Uh, this is the third time that a Bone adaptation has been canceled. Ugh. At least the third. We'll get that someday. Just not from Netflix. Yeah. I will say uh, Netflix, like everyone's talking about the number that they're down 200,000 subscribers. <laughs> they don't seem to be mentioning as much. That they lost, I think it was 500,000 subscribers from Russia <laughs> when they turned off their yeah, service yeah, in Russia. That, I think that that's part up, of the totals that they're struggling with. <laughs> that com- comes up a lot. But also it's like you lost 200,000 out of how many million? Yeah. And it's like, what does that really translate to in money terms? And but, uh, what translates just, to money terms is the stock market loss. Yeah. That's the, the real monetary loss there. Mm-hmm. I, I I mean, I, and there is the frustration that many people have with Netflix that they throw a lot of spaghetti against the wall and sometimes it finds an audience, but it's too late and it doesn't get another season. So I'm yeah. pleased that this one is getting a second season. I just hope, it, you know, it, it all comes together again as well as this one did. Yeah, the um, Dark Crystal series not getting a second season still kind of stings. Yeah. And well, like at the beginning of the year, Netflix announced that this year they like be putting out a movie a week. I don't think that's going to be happening the next year. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty who composed our theme music. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. Okay, are we actually recording? Yes. Okay, then I will go ahead and start us off.